1: once famously said during the french revolution let them eat steak this is the arsenal vision post match podcast my name is Elliot smith of black man twitter yankee gunner i think that's the quote uh, on reflection it may have been let them eat cake but in light of uh, mikel arteta visiting a steak restaurant which i want to be clear is totally unacceptable and we will dive into the tactical analysis of how the steak was placed into his mouth and why it was not the appropriate uh, formation for that to be done Uh, We will be deep diving into let him eat steak, uh, a kid. We won't be deep diving into that at all. Um, What we will be doing, we'll talk a bit of Arsenal stuff, some injury news, some transfer news. Lol, there is no transfer news. There it is, done. Um, We're going to do our Power Rankings episode uh, as, as sort of three quarters of this episode. So if you haven't joined us on Patreon before, our Power Rankings episode is where we take sort of the other top six clubs, Newcastle, Chelsea, United, Liverpool, City, Spurs, and then one interloper, the interloper uh, currently being Aston Villa, and we will um, rank them, okay? Not in terms of where they're on the table, because here's the funny thing about that. There's a table that ranks them. We'll rank them in terms of where we think they are currently, like in terms of how they're playing, in terms of their recent form, in terms of what we expect from them to come, where they sit right now at present. gives us a chance to cover some of the games that have been played and look a little bit at the teams we're trying to uh, chase down, And the teams that are trying to chase us down, frankly, not that I think that's the battle we're in, but you know, the table is the table. So we're going to do a bit of that. Um, We did a transfer overview pod over on Patreon where we covered some of the rumors of things we're linked with, talked about some of the profiles that we need. Um, I thought it was uh, really interesting with Phil Costa, who will be doing a lot more pods with us going forward. So I hope you enjoy Phil, uh, because Phil's going to be here. Um, And and we hope you will look forward to that. We also have a really exciting announcement of some other podcasts that are coming out that we'll be telling you about in the near future. So with all of that out of the way, I hope you're doing really well. And uh, it is my great pleasure as ever to introduce to you a man that you already know and don't need to have introduced to you. And that is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at pfc. Hello, Clive.
2: Hello, hello. How are you, sir? I'm all right. Quiet weekend. Trying to disconnect a little bit away from Arsenal and watch a bit of non-league and... Watch Arsenal Women yesterday, and I, I live where Luton Ladies played Brighton Ladies in the FA Cup mm-hmm. yesterday. So a little bit of different football, shall we say?
1: Yeah, it's nice to do. Um, it is a good time to reset your brain, I think, because you can get take lock this time of season. What I mean is, you get so far down the rabbit hole of what's happening in the immediate moment that you kind of get locked into takes or locked into what the social media chatter is, and it's nice to get away from it a bit and and mm-hmm. reset. Think about what you really believe versus what your, your sort of last impression of things was. So I'm looking forward to, to having a bit of an Arsenal chat and also having a bit of a chat about what's going on at the clubs around us and sort of see where we fit in. I, I do want to mention, um, you know, I, I had a chance to listen to the Arscast before we got started, and there were some shots fired at you and I. Um, <laughs> you know, and I want to be clear for those who have not Absolutely. listened. Um, these, these accusations were about us spreading love. Spreading love and appreciation. Now, granted, what we were spreading love and appreciation for was uh, deeply mediocre footballers, okay? Guilty as charged because we are spreaders of love. What I, what I want to volley back at, at the Arscast guys, at, at James and Andrew, is the spreading of hatred and contempt. <laughs> I, I would like to know what the magpie community thinks of James's opinions. What, what, what do magpies think? Uh, songs lampooning them, wishing ill upon them. And, and, and to you, Andrew. What has Phil Collins ever really done other than perform a legendary drum fill that has been co-opted by every cheesy marketing campaign in history? So I, I think we can reflect on, on what we all spread into the world uh, at this time. And actually now on a non-humorous note, uh, I want to wish everybody listening, you Clive, and, and to everybody, uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. Obviously a uh, wonderfully important relevant figure in our society, uh, in modern history, and and someone who contributed a, a great deal. And we get this day off here in the United States uh, from work to, to stop and reflect on Martin Luther King's message and where we are in the journey of sort of trying to, to deliver on the dream that he expressed all those years ago. So uh, obviously, a uh, very happy Martin Luther King Day to you.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a US-centric weekend for me, actually, with the NFL playoffs ongoing. And we were yeah. talking, weren't we, offline about cowboys last night
1: <laughs> did you see my tweet <laughs>
2: yeah, no, about again. the Spurs? <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think um yeah watching the cowboys meltdown was it was interesting i did get a bit of the rams who we lost well one point yesterday to Lions, so mm, yeah. But, yeah there's more to come tonight so uh, yeah my house is very much an american football house at the moment my son's very much into it so um yeah a bit of a u.s weekend and more to come over the next few weekends
1: yeah, it's funny. Once upon a time, I was a Bears fan because I, I was born in Chicago, didn't live there long, but sort of adopted their sports teams. And there was a time when I was very, very young where that was a nice thing because Michael Jordan and the Super Bowl shuffle and, you know, there, there were good things that came from that. But mm-hmm. the Bears have been so bad for so long and I've shifted so much to loving Arsenal that now I can watch the NFL as a, a sort of disinterested third party. Having yeah. said that, living in Minnesota and having been a a, a, a Bears fan the Green Bay Packers are not a particularly beloved uh, team here. And yet I don't like the Cowboys because of the whole cringy America's team thing. So I was able to just watch it. Like, you know, the way we will sometimes watch, like, united play chelsea or spurs play you know um uh, united or something where you're just rooting for red cards and and fouls and general uh shithousery and so yeah i was able to enjoy that in a sort of neutral way really really interesting and now uh jerry jones thrust in the limelight where he always thrives so i look forward to that I know, um on him, for sure. speaking about limelight um uh, some focus on Mikel Arteta eating at a steak restaurant. Like here, here's my very quick take and you can have a take on this, but I don't think we need it, but I'll just ask you like, I wouldn't go to that restaurant because I just don't think it would be worth the money it would cost. Um, I don't think the salt Bay dude is cool. It's not for me. Having said that, like I try not to judge other people's decision on where to eat their meals and what stuff they think is cool. Um, and, Like, I I just don't, I can't get worked up about it. But what I do think is somewhat relevant is the attempt by sort of tabloid media to pounce on it, the attempt by some people to pounce on it. And I think it just suggests that beneath the surface, there is a desire to sort of take Mikkel down a peg, given the chance. Um, But I thought this was really interesting because Tom Gibbs um, (laughs) wrote an article I'm not kidding, for the Daily Telegraph, basically saying, you know, the difference between Klopp and Pep or the difference between Pep and Mikel is that you you couldn't imagine Pep being seen at this restaurant, being filmed with this guy. And Arsenal Twitter, because Arsenal Twitter does what it does, not always for the best, but usually doesn't miss when you come for Arsenal, uh, within seconds had photos of Pep with his whole team eating at the restaurant, Pep, with his arm around Salt Bay, taking a picture with him. Salt Bay, I can't even believe that's a thing that I'm saying. But so, like, it is pretty funny. And I, I guess the only reason there's an angle here, Clive, is the angle that it sometimes feels like there is very much a desire to, to take Mikel down a peg in some quarters. Um, and I, I don't want to be Arsenal-centric. Maybe that happens to all managers. But it does, it does feel like it's happening to Mikel a little bit more this season.
2: Yeah, the, the light's been on him for a while. Maybe since Richard Keys highlighted his uh, behaviour on the sidelines, and I think for all sort of non-Arsenal people, they jumped on that and how he behaves and how he acts. And every time he shows one smidgen of a behavioural issue, it's, it's magnified. And we saw the last minute goal at Luton and how he ended up with a yellow card and he wasn't able to be on the sideline against Aston Villa. And, and I think that's a major factor in our season. Uh, so it's 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 not funny, to be honest, because it does have an impact to how we play and whether we can coach from the sideline. So I I don't think it's funny. It comes back to the words, you know, I've been thinking a lot, actually, because you have a bit of time to sort of disconnect, but you can just take a step back and have a little think. It does come back to a couple of things, really. Mikel's likability, you know? I mean, as I saw people when we are winning, I sense, yeah, it's all good then sometimes when you have two, three defeats in a row, then what tends to happen is maybe some underlying feelings tend to come out. People who have been quiet while they've been winning. Where do you go when we lose is really a a question for all of us as individuals. Where do we go when we lose? Where do you, where's your first point of fire? I think it's, it's an individual way people support their teams and, um, yeah, I tend to take a step back and look, you know, look outward and look other teams, and then look at ourselves to just get some perspective because we're we're so invested, and um, and I think that investment becomes into almost like a tunnel where you, we where you think no one else exists, but actually that's the, for me, it's the time to step away, then come back again and have a look and try to remain calm and and have some sort of holistic view, but. Hey, look, I'm a a man in the autumn of my life. And so that makes sense Mm -hmm. to me. When you're you're a younger person, just going through this for the first time with huge expectations. I'm not going to tell you how to support your club, but just we're all different, aren't we? We're all different. Mm -hmm. We all can be be different, shall we say.
1: I think there's a message in there, too, about Mikel and how we we connect to Mikel, too, in that he's a young man in his career and a young man by the, the sort of standards of coaching ages. And I do think that once you've been through it enough, once you've sort of gone down the road enough, I think there is a mellowing maybe that happens or an ability to understand how to manipulate the media, how to manipulate the press. But I think you see in younger managers quite often this fire and this, this intensity. You know, people think of the avuncular Arsene Wenger, the philosopher Arsene Wenger. But when you think about the Arsene Wenger that came to Arsenal when he started, there was a much greater degree of sort of intensity, and anger is too strong a word. But he had he had
2: bite to him. Not that he was establishing himself, wasn't he? he yeah, he exactly. Like himself. Mikel is now. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that.
1: Yeah, and and so I, I just think um, look, I, I don't, I'm not going to lie. I think Mikkel has a likability issue at some level but I don't think sport is about likability fundamentally. What I think likability can help you is when you go through that downturn, do people want to stick with you? You know, when you, you look at the managers that are able to survive a downturn, and whether it is Klopp or an Arsene Wenger or Pep, although he hasn't really gone through any downturns, it's because they've won things. It's because they've established themselves. Yep. Mikel is still, I mean, and he has won the FA Cup, let's be clear, but he's still trying to do that. I think, um, and, and you saw this in the All or Nothing documentary edu uh, in one scene at the cafeteria right in the in the um mess hall whatever you want to call it right where they're where they're all eating commissary uh <clears throat> he he sort of says i think to josh cronkey or was it jo- i think it was edu saying it to josh seeing michael sort of talking to the players and he said if he can add that if he can add that relationship quality that ability to connect with them personally he'll go to the very top And so even in that documentary, I think there's a suggestion that sort of relating to people and being, you know, being able to connect personally was the piece he had to add. I don't think anybody doubts his reading of the game, his understanding of the game. So I don't know that any of this matters per se, but I do think the more likable you are, the less pressure gets heaped on you um, when times are a little tougher. Now, having said that, I do think there's hypocrisy though, because the media fell all over themselves to love Jose Mourinho, who I think from a behavior standpoint was about as bad as it gets. You know, now again, he had the winning reputation and so maybe that's it. But so for me, Clive, the only real there, there, the only issue here is can a lack of likability lead to a potential challenge with the pressure that gets put on you at the earliest signs of trouble, you know?
2: Yeah. I I think it has a, a, an effect Elliot, And you mentioned Klopp, right? And, Klopp is held up there, and quite rightly, he's been at the mm-hmm. club for eight, nine years now. Champions it's League and right? league, yeah, and um, and he's he's won he's won some trophies. A bit unfortunate, he won the big one after thirty years. No one was there. Much like Mikel won the trophy where no one was there watching. Mm. Um, Klopp didn't qualify for Champions League last year. Can you imagine if Mikel doesn't qualify for Champions League this year? What's going to happen? Uh, it'll be a challenge for us, right, to stay aligned and but when you have that track record you can you can recover it and you look around the league look at other managers like say Gary O'Neill and Eddie Howe quite likeable good old English guys but we about it, lads we got your back you know and Mikel's different and then, again I was on my walk and I was thinking the other day actually and I was thinking about this word connection and likability. and I remember going to the Brighton game last year when we got beat and everything sort of blew up a little bit and and Basically, it, it was quite a, quite a sad day, to be honest, that home game. Then we had the Wolves game there afterwards. the Wolves game, and we won 5 nil. new kits, everything was nice and bright again, people have recovered emotionally and really recognised that the season was a really good one. And then Mikel came to speak to the crowd afterwards, remember, it, when he had to go on the oh, microphone? Yeah. And he couldn't speak for four minutes or so because everyone was shouting his name. Mm-hmm. And I thought back to that, and I thought back to some of the things we we're seeing online in the last week or so. I'd remind myself of the connection that we had, that we have when things are going better. And it's very quick we erase the good and and dive into the bad and stay there. When your manager can't even speak for the cheering he's getting, that was only a little while ago. Remember that things are not all too bad, and we were just a we were very close to being top on New Year's Day, like that, and we were top of Christmas. So things have changed very, very quickly. Then I thought back to, okay, how did we get to that point of positivity? And then I thought, well, what drove that? Obviously, it was the alignment in the club and the whole project from top to bottom. Also, there was a connection through to the fan base, right? Based on the youngest team in the league doing what they did. We know we fell down. We sort of know the reasons why, lost a couple of key defenders at the wrong time, and we lost some defensive stability, and we had some hobbled midfielders. And we ended up where we ended up. We could deal with it because it's Man City. They want everything in the world. Right? So we could deal with it. Then I think back to this season. So what's changed? What's changed? Well, we've changed as fans. Our expectations have now changed. And maybe a couple of the transfer moves that have been made have tested that connectivity to us and tested, tested that clarity, that alignment. And if people don't understand, they question. So I think that's a key point to how potentially many of us are feeling. And so that connectivity and alignment and understanding the steps in the project is very, very important. I think that's where the Amazon documentary was really good. It educated people on on where we were going and how we were going there. Maybe, Maybe highlight a few personal characters. And now we have this situation where we really expect this just to continue. And it's a challenge when it's not been linear. And um, and this is the time, really, for me. Anyway, the way I deal with it is say, okay, remember, remind yourself what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. Look at the steps. Try to understand why we've done certain decisions. I don't agree with every single one, but do I understand why? And then keep my perspective when I'm trying to support my team, <laughs> even though part of my New Year's was so saddened by the results – I'm afraid Arsenal sh- shouldn't be the only thing that makes me happy, you know? So I keep some perspective in that and go forward from there.
1: Yeah, Arsenal is the only thing that makes me happy. Uh, I am <laughs> pretty clear about that with my daughters and my wife, just so that yeah, they yeah. understand where I stand on uh, on that sort of thing, uh, which is why they've left me. They're they're all gone right
2: now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alone with, <laughs> with the dog. <laughs> it
1: does suck though, right? Like they're, they're gone this weekend. It's just me and the puppy and the cat and the house – and the internet, and the never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, but and <laughs> there's no the Arsenal passion. this weekend. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, you know me. I've been on. I've been on Y Scout basically since then. <laughs> that's it. Just Just Why Scout and no other websites. Um, uh, now for our sponsor. No. Uh, so anywho. Um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about actual Arsenal news. Um, there isn't much in the way of transfers. We might touch on that in a second, mm. but I want to talk about returning players. It does appear that Thomas Party is on the brink of returning. Fabio Vieira looks pretty fit and potentially on the brink of returning. And Timber is running on, on grass, uh, which is a good place to run, which is encouraging and might mean that, while well, I think he's still quite a bit away, could be back this season. Let's focus on Thomas Party though, the biggest one of the three for, for a moment. Let's just do this quickly. How important is the return, do you think, assuming he comes back and doesn't, you know, get injured immediately (laughs) straight away the second he's back and how do you think he'd be used I mean there's a part of me that really wonders now that when we had party and rice together we were seeing him as a fullback um so I I think I think that's a pretty interesting question now I don't think we have a very clear picture of how Mikel would want to use party and rice together what do you think his return means for us both in terms of importance but in terms of how the manager might shuffle the deck.
2: Yeah, this is part of the lack of clarity thing, right? So we added uh, Declan Rice in, and people were thinking, is he going to be the party replacement, or is he going to be the Shaka replacement? I'm not sure. Today we're any clearer. <laughs> the only thing is that he's carried he's carried us in his rucksack for the most of the season in midfield, until he ran out of energy at Fulham a little bit, and, and that was it really. So, um and and so. I think with timber coming in, you think back to the first game of the season and how we set up, and think back to the Charity Shield how we set up. So they're, they're two milestone games, right? So Charity Shield it was party and rice together. When you come to the big stuff, you don't mess about. Forest at home, well, we just use a right use party as right back, get him to roll into midfield and and set up that way. And because it's not Forest at home, right? So, so I I don't think. We, we We need to have one solution. The key is with the party available and we have multiple solutions and that's what we should be trying to do. I mean, game models now are not just about you set up and see how it goes for five minutes. It's, they're set up in time periods, right? You change based on what the opposition does and you adapt. And part of the challenge in modern coaching is adapting very, very quickly when the opposition makes a change and you would make a change to counter that. Or make a change to make them count of their change they've just made. And and revert back and put you in a position of strength. That is why people sit in the stands looking at the game. That is why people have analysts, clips coming to them at half-time and all the data is presented to them immediately. The game has changed massively from the game I grew up with. This information is just instant now. We know exactly what's happened, where the pressure is, what the game plan is. And all we have to do is make sure we build a squad that can adapt to what other teams throw at us and maintain our strengths over longer periods of time, make sure we control games and control where we want to play. And we've definitely improved on that angle. Where we have not improved is the one thing that Arsenal fans agree on, and we do all agree on this, is the fact of kicking that ball into that thing called the net. That is the last thing that we are not doing. And based on that, you go where you want to go. You know, But if we start kicking that ball into that net, we'll all be aligned again very, very quickly.
1: I do want to mention, as we've been recording, the news has come out that Everton and Forrest have been been charged with a breach of FFP rules. Uh, Mm. It is unclear what the punishment will be. There's some suggestion that Everton may be able to navigate this such that there's no additional points deduction, although an additional points deduction is possible, which leads me to think that Sean Dyche uh, is the living embodiment of that famous tweet I went to my landlord this weekend and asked him to raise my rent. That's how much I believe in my grind hustle. <laughs> I think Deich just wants to show that he can avoid a relegation with whatever the league throws at him. But uh, yeah, so we don't we don't fully know what's happening there. My recommendation to you, listener, is to only ever listen to this podcast. But in this one instance, uh, you can go listen to Wrighty's house. Of course, you should listen to Wrighty's house. They had Swiss Ramble on. Um, yeah. who is really the authority on covering these financial things. He never does podcasts, ever. I know I've asked. But uh, when Ian Wright calls, there is only one answer, and the answer is yes. Uh, they did a pretty good uh, summation of this without getting into the weeds, just sort of summarizing what's gone on there and and what the the breaches are, and also sort of explaining how the, the city thing differs. Because obviously, every time this stuff comes out, there's going to be a what about city. And it is quite a different situation, and they explain that a bit. So if you want to get more of that, can certainly get that over there. Clive, I think the Thomas party return the most interesting knock-on effect of the Thomas party return, I think relates to Kai Havertz. Um because I think that Kai Havertz has had periods of playing well and periods of playing not as well. But I don't think we can sit here right now and say Kai Havertz has nailed down left eight to the point that everybody acknowledges that role is his. He's He's got it. He's made it his through his performances and nothing's going to change. I, I think that a party rice and Odegaard midfield is now squarely in the frame as something that could be done quite a bit. And I wonder if that potentially also, though, frees up Kai Havertz to be deployed a little more as a center forward off the bench or as a center forward first choice when we want to move Jesus out wide or if Jesus is unavailable... Is is that a knock-on effect you think is is valid, or am I am I just searching?
2: Yeah, it's it's called depth. It's called depth, <laughs> it's called depth <laughs> in your <laughs> squad of good players, you know, and um in City's midfield, they play one person in Rodri. He plays most of the time. And uh when he doesn't play, they lose. Uh, but he has Nunes, he has Kovacic, he, he has Bernardo. He had Foden. He has all these rotating.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you just not going to mention Calvin Phillips, the linchpin well, of their of their team?
2: i <laughs> will just about to get to him, actually, <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and so yeah, and and we don't care when when we see them rotate, we just go, oh well, City have just given him a rest, you know. And I think we have to get to that point. I think we were heading to that point where we can manage minutes more effectively. Let's not pretend that Jesus and party are sort of robust injury-wise, <laughs> let's, not, let's not pretend, because they're not, right? And so the ability to manage the minutes of those players is something we were moving towards until we lost those players. Because this was already one knee up in and another knee injury this season alone. The two mm-hmm. knee-ops in his time at Arsenal. And parties, I think he'd had a procedure in his side potentially not before time, shall we say, to make sure he comes back mm-hmm. in some sort of health. And so, And that's on the back of his most... You know, thirty-three games last year. I think he played for us, but no one cares about that because he missed the big ones so we really needed him. And this year, he has not been there. And thank goodness we spent a hundred million on a player that can hold our field together. So, mm. yeah, I, you know I me, mean? you know my thoughts, right? Uh, we beat Man City at home. We made three key substitutions in that game: Tommy Asu, Havertz, and Partey That were all involved in the oh, the winning goal. Sorry, the winning goal. Mm. We were able to power up from the bench. yeah. And I want the ability to add quality and power from the bench so we can win these critical games and not be drawing and losing them by the odd goal.
1: Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> I'm not going to sit here and pretend party at right back is my favorite thing we've ever tried. But I'm also not going to pretend like some people will that it never worked. He's looked good in that role at times. I mean, he hasn't done it a ton, but he's looked okay there. The reason I reference that is... We are desperately short in defense and having party as an option at right back, which means white becomes an option at center back, which means Tomiyasu, you know, if he's back and available is an option at left back and not having to cover right back. Like suddenly you can make things work a bit if you have to, um, you know, assuming no defender comes in. And then if timber comes back, I think it's deeply unfair to expect him to be, Fit and available this season only because if he does come back, we know that after these major injuries, that subsequent sort of compensation injuries are common. But it it, it gives us a lot more flexibility. But then the other interesting thing then from a, a left eight, right eight, midfieldy kind of thing is Vieira looking pretty good back fit training. I don't think Fabio Vieira has ever convinced anybody, and if he has convinced you, I'd be surprised how because he's just not. He's never had a real run in the team where he's he's been able to show his stuff. But this was not a 5 million pound punt. This is a player that was extremely highly thought of when he was acquired. He was acquired at a real fee and, you know, thought of as having real talent and has flashed it at times. Um, and for a team that can't score a goal, he's certainly one of those guys that can, you know, laser one in from outside the box. He he can add goals. I think though he's a, a phenomenal ball striker. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a, an every game starter who will transform us, but I think it's, a pretty big addition because if you look at the eights, Odegaard and Kai, whatever you think of either of them, the players sort of behind them in the moment have been more six than eight. It's Jorginho, it's Rice, you know, those are the guys that we're bringing in. Vieira is the one that truly can play a defense splitting pass, score a goal from out, you know, from, from the edge of the box. So is that maybe a sneaky important return that we, we undervalue just because he's never had a chance to really establish himself?
2: I think he's an important return from from many angles, really. Depending on how he comes back, how he trains, and how he looks physically, um, he's got a chance to really mature himself and from, a, from a power perspective. And I think he needs to have a little bit more, particularly around protecting the ball. Um, I have seen probably his best half of football against Fulham, it was this season when he came on. I looked as good as anything I'd seen this season. He was just fantastic. And if you think back, if you people are wondering about value, et cetera, but think back to that period when Odegaard was carrying that hip injury and he wasn't playing well. And, you know, I'm not sure if I'm getting my dates mixed up, but Vieira was not himself in the best physical shape. If you have a situation where Vieira's fit and well and playing well or not suspended for getting a red card, then we don't play Odegaard for an injury. And we don't have five pods talking about Odegaard's Creativity numbers dropping, you know, and taking shots on the wrong foot, etc. These things do have a knock-on effect to our ability to protect players, make sure they're fit and available. They may be on a team sheet, they may not be themselves. We know the guard missed his international break, he came back, and his numbers and our team dynamic has changed since he's come back. Okay, we've lost the results recently, but if you look at where we were at the start of the season, we didn't look like us ourselves at certain periods. We looked like ourselves against Liverpool, even though we lost the game. Right, same at West Ham same at Villa we lost those three games you know but so these players are important to make sure we can protect the people that we want to see and make sure we're not playing people hobbled right? and we know we've done that we know we've done that and so yeah I'm hopeful for Vieira I've seen the very best of him I've also seen times when the crowd have been frustrated with him in the ground Mm. he is a talent but I always look at the wages and he's on on a developmental wage forget the fee look at the wages and I think that's when you can start to expect a bit more. So if you want to have a go at Kai Havertz, he gets paid to deliver at the Odegaard level. So mm-hmm. that's the truth. Vieira and Smith-Rowe on similar numbers. Developmental players we're trying to bring into the squad. So Vieira, Smith-Rowe, Nelson. Do you think all three are going to start the season next year? I don't. I'm just mm. reading Aston Villa. Still interested in Smith-Rowe. I don't want to see it, but I also recognise that we're sitting here looking at other teams selling on their youth players and we can see that has a major impact in uh, what we mentioned with Forrest and Everton earlier on, Elliot. It has a major impact. I look around the league when people are selling their academy players and I include Spurs in that. who sold the biggest one of all in Harry Kane. And they're able to reinvest that money and... And be decisive. And they're the only team that can be decisive in terms of the window so far, whether you agree with their, their choices or not. They can move, they've got financial flexibility because they sold Harry Kane, which is pure 80 odd million profit to that club. And that empowers them, you know? So, so, yeah, we just need to get into that position, get to a point in our strategy where we as a club are fighting maybe our values around opportunities for academy kids recognize we want to grow the squad to the expectations by which most of the fans have. We may need to make some painful decisions.
1: Say this, if we sell an academy player too, we have a hell of a lot of money to spend because of the way the rules are factored. The immediate profit versus the amortized spend, <clears throat> I think, gives you a lot of room to bring in a, lo- a lot of player. Um, and so there are some tough decisions to be made. Uh, one of the things we debated over on Patreon, so I won't, <clears throat> I won't repeat it here, but was the, would you sell Eddie and Kedia now in this window, regardless of whether, uh, a replacement is brought in. Now, you know, I think these are the kind of questions the club has to ask itself in terms of where's the cash available and how do we maximize it so that we have room to continue to build the way we need to build. So let's do, do a quick hit here just on the transfer side of it. I'll confess. I don't see a deal being done this January. I just, I think it's going to be too hard. We're very, very, very good. And no matter how frustrated you are with us, even if you're frustrated this season hasn't been what you hoped it would be yet, even even the most negative view of us you have to acknowledge we're very good. And the kind of player we'd get that would impact our season in a meaningful way has to be quite good. Buying a player who's not quite good, we don't need another Pablo, Marie, or Cedric. So I don't see... The value of that, the idea of, well, you just need a body to get in. Well, a body just getting in means you lose games if you play them, right? I mean, we saw that last season. Saliba was out. We had a body that we brought in that didn't work. Um, so I think you need something pretty good to come in to move the needle. I don't think just getting someone that, you know, it, it makes you better. Getting bad players doesn't make you better. Like, it's just not, it's not how football works. So, Clive, do you. Do you see a deal that might get done or that you wish we would do? Is there is there a transfer move out there that still feels percolating enough to you that that you think it could happen? Could we get shocked by something that happens in the last week of the transfer window? It's all very, very quiet right now.
2: Yeah, it I think it's going to be opportunity-based. Opportunity um, I'm not sure. Just because Everton have been uh, sort of clipped around their ears again financially, whether they sold a player in January, what that would do for them, you know, and
1: so just to be clear, that that would have no relation to the trouble they're presently
2: in. Yeah, exactly. So, so mm-hmm. they're not; they may not be looking vulnerable on that basis, but obviously, looking forward, I'm sure there are assets that they need to be making sure they 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 move on. You know, whether this window or the next one, if there's an offer for them in this window, because dominoes are falling at other clubs, they may take it rather than wait and see how form goes, etc. And for example, if the worst was to happen to Everton and they were to go down, then they may not be in such a strong position to negotiate. So there's many, many things on the table here. From my angle, I'm just pretending nothing's going to happen and I'm looking at internally what we can do at the minimal cost. I, I think there's an opportunity, if I look at Arsenal footballistically wise, and I look at returning players, I think there's an opportunity to maybe mature how our fullbacks play. We spoke about this before earlier and, and maybe have a bit more of an attacking emphasis on maybe one side of the pitch rather than think about a back five, front five type solution. We saw some things, interesting things in the Liverpool game which I think maybe the start of something new with a bit more of a sort of traditional back four and a traditional double pivot and four people really staying high and pressing on and having one person join them later. I can see that maturing a little bit more. If you call it a 4-2-3-1 a or 4-2-2, I don't really mind. It's up to you. But really, they were distinct roles. And I and I quite like the partnerships that were developed on that pitch. And so, yeah, I think um, it was a you know a very very interesting technical um, dynamic in that Liverpool game. And I'm so interested to see how we develop that in the Palace game at the weekend. I can't wait for it. Literally can't wait for it see what we've learned and see how we're going to push forward the next phase of the season. So, I could see a potential left-back coming, I don't know why. A full-back can play on both sides, a bit more attacking. Um, that's the only one I think you can, you, we can get the most maximum tactical value out of. The rest, the names, we all know them. And they're all wrapped up in how much money you have and how many players that you can move on. So that's a matter of multiple dominoes falling. So yeah, a left-back at, at a good price, that potential play of a different dynamic to what we already have. I can see that um, potential in January.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it's not that I don't see holes in the squad that we need to plug to just make sure the season doesn't derail. But I think what we learned last season is if those plugs, so to speak, uh, aren't quality, it doesn't actually fix anything. It, It doesn't save your season. You know, when Saliba went out, you look at the players we tried to use in, in his absence, and the results are clear. We became one of the leakiest defenses in the league, and our season collapsed. We had a player. player couldn't maintain the level.
2: I think, um, I think it's really important, Elliot, that for me anyway, that we stay on plan, and we don't do anything stupid because we lost two league games, and an FA Cup game. Stay on plan. Tactically, what what can we do to maximise this group? And people may laugh, we don't need a left-back and a centre-forward. But if we have a full-back that pushes on and our forwards are now playing 10 yards further in, we get, we get forwards, we get Saka, we get Martinelli. We get more connectivity because I think the number one thing we have to fix in our front line for me is connectivity, is the ability to connect. And when we... Have certain players not playing, particularly Jesus, we lose connectivity in the front end of our pitch, and we don't look like an Arsenal team. The only person that gets closer to that, people are not like this, but Kai Havertz helps us connect in the front line. I think connectivity is the number one thing. If I was if I was ever near that team or working with them, I'd be talking about how we can get connections, good connections, time arrival in the box, making sure we do things in one. When you see it, do it. First time shots don't have five touches connectivity, timing, conviction. That's what I'll be talking about. And how can I position these guys to be in these positions more more often? And and you may laugh, but maybe a fullback option will allow us to do that. We don't need, we don't need it per se. You know, but you, you, maybe we just tweak the the fullbacks that we have their position rather than invert, but they play on the outside and we create all the team. You know my views on this. I think it's the maximum way to get the best benefit. Even watching Reese Nelson's run against Liverpool in the first chance in the first minute, I love that run. Out to in, once playing like a second striker, really pressing from the front. I love that. That's a tweak, that's a change. That could be done easily. If I can do it, stay central more often and we protect him on his right hand side so he's not making tackles on the corner flag. We can do this stuff with the group that we have. It doesn't always have to be in the YouTube comps. We just gotta work a bit better, a bit sharper.
1: It's funny, right? Because during the window, every move you could do, you should do. And every mm-hmm. player we're linked with is going to make it, you know, Xerxy and well, this mayoral guy like that can't surely can't be real, but like um, yeah, every player you're linked with, but like when we were linked with Vieira, I know I watched the comps and we, Y scouted him and it's exciting and Samby, it's exciting, but like a lot of these moves don't hit the level you hoped for one reason or another. Um, they, they just don't, they, they never do. And so this stuff is hard and just doing something, anything isn't the way to go. To your point, don't screw something up. And I, I do think This is where Mikel needs to be really, really careful on what he believes he can get from a party the rest of the season, from a Timber late in the season, because if he believes Timber will be back at the end of March in a state to play and contribute, and he believes Thomas Party has passed his injury issues and will be fairly reliable, suddenly you've got quality options that can cover holes on multiple parts of the pitch, and you don't have to make a move that's a roll of the dice that wasn't, on plan, to use your phrase, right, Clive? Like, you don't have to break your plan. These are hard calculations to make. Um, I, I, My opinion, personally, is I, I don't see a move right now that looks like it's going to happen. Now, yeah. so much of transfers is opportunism. A club decides late in a window they're going to sell or a club finds the guy they want to buy to replace so you can buy the guy that you want. We'll see how all that shakes out. Um, and, and one is, thing that is interesting to keep track of, yeah, sorry, sorry I was just going to say, now that people are really seeing the teeth to FFP, there may be some clubs out there. I don't know who they are, but there may be some clubs out there that are like, you know what? We kind of need to cash in now um, because we're getting a really good offer on something and maybe we're in more trouble for the next accounting period than we had expected. So-
2: yeah, Something like opportun- comes. That's, that, that comes under the phrase market opportunities, and yeah. this is why I hope that Mikel and they're doing the club just hold course very much so, and trust in their abilities to coach, and develop people, and um, and make sure we all stay aligned. And this is why, I, you know, we talk about we started this podcast talk about Mikel's likability. because maybe I'm quite glad that he doesn't care. He doesn't want to be liked. He just wants to do the best for the club. If You know, because if, if it was me, I'd be I'll I'd be getting Aussie men in and we'd have a 10-point deduction, right? <laughs> if it was me. And so, because I want to be liked. I want to make sure that all the fans that we talk to who want to get new shiny signings, I, I want to give it to them. So it's very important that we don't end up in that situation. It's very important we don't end up in a situation where we have Bamiyang, Lacazette and Pepe all not playing well. £170 million worth of player on I don't know how much in wages. And, and we're not in the Champions League, and we ended up giving them all away. That's mm. not where we want to be. That's not going to put us in a strong position. And people are comparing us to City and Chelsea this weekend. Well, if we keep getting that situation, we're never going to get to that level of success they've had over the last decade. I know the charges are coming. I know it's coming. But there are some things they've done quite well from a financial point of view. And there's some things that we can learn, but the way they've done it and the way they've been funded obviously doesn't really work, but that is to be uh, to be defined. But we need to worry about ourselves and how we operate. Let's not go down that route again where we're having to give away other players because we can't sell them because of the contractual situation, etc. and where they are in their careers and how they use ourselves as a stepping stone rather than a, a place where we want to be to win things. And the group we have to now I trust their motivations. They may not always kick in the back of the net, but I trust their motivations why they're here. And I don't forget where we were and what we had to do to to course correct.
1: Yeah. You you ready to jump into some power rankings? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for the fun part of the pod, for those people who've hung, hung with us this part. But I think if you're going to power up, <clears throat> do some power rankings, you need some energy, you need to feel healthy and ready to to consume this great content. And the only way you're going to do that is if you take AG1. That's right. AG1 is 75 high high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. It's all the daily nutrients that you need for energy, focus, strength, and clarity. I started taking it for gut health. That was the thing that I needed. I had some gut health issues that were bothering me. Had it recommended. Started taking it. Loved it. Found that it was helping me get off uh, the amount of coffee I was drinking, which is great. Designed by athletes too. So from a recovery standpoint, if you're trying to get fit, if you're trying to lose weight, a, a big thing about being fit is your recovery. Uh, actually, I think it's the thing that holds back professional athletes maybe more than anything. What's that recovery cycle? How quickly can you recover and go again? Uh, AG1 is big in the recovery cycle. So it's just a phenomenal um, daily nutritional supplement that isn't a gummy Sugar candy that has the word vitamin on the outside with 50 calories coming from sugar. It's got uh, low sugar. It's keto friendly, vegan friendly, paleo friendly, all that stuff. You can take it in some water, drink it down. You're gonna love it. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs. I take them when I uh, head off to London to see my favorite team, the Arsenal. In case you've ever heard of them, with your first purchase, go to drinkag1.com/slash/vision. That's drinkag1.com/slash/vision. Check it out, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Okay. Power rankings. Here's how it works. We start with the worst, we go to the best. Arsenal are not in the rankings because, as we know, they are the best. And that is presumed. We give you our sense of where these clubs are now and where they're going, not where they are in the table. Um, So it's time to be controversial right off the bat. At the very bottom, and and here's who we're going to be ranking today Newcastle, Chelsea, United, Spurs villa city and liverpool not necessarily in that order and it won't be in that order i am going to say that the bottom team is manchester united they're dead Mm -hmm. last i have them as the worst um i realize in the table they are currently sitting seventh on 32 points um which you know that's Whatever you want to make of it, they have a minus five goal difference, which is extraordinary, a minus 3.8 expected goal difference. In terms of expected goals, they sit uh, 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11th in expected goals scored, in expected goals allowed, their worst 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, their 13th in expected goals allowed. Just a dreadful, horrible, no good team. Um, it, their best player might be Jaden Sancho who is uh, firing (laughs) in Germany already. Firing, has an assist already. Um, Just a brilliant player, uh, playing brilliant football, but not for Manchester United. Clive, I have them last. What's your take on Manchester United, who eked out a draw against the detestable and loathsome Tottenham Hotspur at the weekend, despite, I think, showing very, very, very little quality?
2: Yeah, they're a moments team, aren't they? And their team is lacking uh, identity at the moment. And I looked at their team in the weekend and, and I just looked at them all <laughs> and thought, uh, how are you set up to succeed, right? And so, you look at the full-backs, Dallow and wan Wan-Bissaka, Well, wan on his left foot. You know, he can only do so much. People say he wasn't technically enough on his right foot, so that's a problem. I think Dallow's not a bad player, actually. And I think he can hold his head up this season. You got Johnny Evans and Rafa Varane. I mean, Varane's got he's got knees of dust, and Johnny Evans. <laughs> he should be coaching the team, not playing in it, right? So, um, and so he went down with Leicester last year, and he's ended up at Manchester United. And he looked he looked okay for the period he was on. He he walked into a Spurs game, and Spurs we know what they do. They overload centre midfield. They have they bring their fullbacks in and go a two three create their box that way and Doggy and Poro are very active at the base of their team and they're very active players and they overload the central area so what do you do? You roll out an 18-year-old kid in Cubby Mainu who's fantastic and then you give him Ericsson who was—he looks like he's ageing by the hour you know and um, and so you can't and then you have Bruno who's pointing everywhere but never standing in the right place and that's your midfield I mean you, you can't succeed with that you know Um, the White players in Rashford and Garnacho, people can have their opinions, and Garnacho's I think he's showing a level of responsibility for a young kid this season for someone who's nineteen. he's not playing like a nineteen year old and there are other people with more senior money and senior positions who are not holding themselves up with the same level of responsibility and leaving it to to Garnacho and Hoyland and players like this. I think it's a such an interesting discussion, Manchester United, but We know they're about to go through significant change. And so I'm not one for laughing at these things because the people around, they're not dumb. They can see what we see, and it's going to be a matter of how they make that change. For me, it's going to be organizationally, and You know, heard it say before, Elliot, if you do get the right organization around recruitment and a technical director, they can do anything from there because they have the size of club. They have the revenue. They may have to do some of what we did with some of our players, which is pay them to go. It could take some time, but once they do get straight, I'm afraid that's all we're going to see in our newspapers. Once they get straight, you know, because you know, that's what's going to happen eventually. But at this moment in time, they're not in the best place.
1: I think they'll be bad forever, personally. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, I want to express my relief to Andre Onana. I think he could have really gotten hurt by that Betancourt <laughs> shot, and he got out of the way of it nicely. And I, I'm, I'm, j- I'm just so glad that he was able to do that. Um, so, kudos to him. Um, I, I'm going to... By the way, Rasmus Hoyland. I know people rate him. I know people like him. I want to be clear. <clears throat> From a data standpoint, this guy is terrible. Now, I use my eyes, and I see things in Hoyland that I, that I think could be good. He was unproven when they bought him. It's not like he had lit it up. He has two goals. He took his goal brilliantly, by the way. I think he took it well. Yeah. He's averaging 1.6 shots per 90. For a center forward, that... At any club, let alone Manchester United, that is horrid, wretched, no good. The data's not good. He's got two goals. I I don't know that he can be the center forward for a club the size of United. But setting that aside, Clive, I'm just going to say this about United, and we can probably leave it here. I'm going to default to something I never default to, but I really believe it. There aren't enough people trying. There just aren't enough players trying for Eric Ten Hag on that pitch. Marcus Rashford is so done with Ten Hag. He does not track back. He does not work for the team. He is not alone. A few players try really hard and run around, and the other players stand around and watch the ball get progressed by them. It's nuts. Yeah. They'll just watch a player carry the ball past them, have the best view of it in the world. Like, there is something going on there where there is definitely a cluster of players that are not giving everything they can give. And I know that's not the kind of analysis we usually engage in, but that's what my eyes tell me. And yeah, when and that happens, usually the manager's
2: gone. You know? Yeah, when you're in an organization that's about to go through significant change, what do you do? Do you say, well, I want to stay here. I want to be part of this. Or do you say, you know what, I've got a contract. I don't care what you do. I've got a contract, and I've signed it. I'm going to look after my legs, mate. So... um. Because if you don't like me, then someone else will. But it won't like me if I'm injured, right? So, um, so uh, it, it's just the nature of change, and it comes back to what I was saying earlier about being really aligned and connected end to end. When you have that collective goal, common goal, and common identity, it's very easy to to go in the same direction. That needs to be fostered. It's quite interesting watching Spurs. I don't know if Spurs are next in your in your list, but watching they're, Spurs... they're
1: not. I have I have I have a team. Uh, below them.
2: Well, I'll, I'll save the Spurs bit for a bit later then, but he's quite, you yep. know, list, the listener knows what I'm going to say. There's one, there was one team in that pitch that was playing for the manager and one team that you could question that.
1: Yeah, the issues with Spurs were talent and tactics. The issue with United were also talent and tactics, but also effort, in my view. And when that last one is in question, something is broken. I think things are really broken at United. I've said on this podcast I think they would finish bottom half. I still think that's absolutely in play. I think they're really, really bad. So we'll just have to see. The team that I have next, though, Clive, on the list, is Newcastle. And I think Newcastle could have been last, except that I see in Newcastle... More than I see in United in terms of upside. But they are really bad right now. And and this is going to be kind of stunning to people who haven't looked at the table. Newcastle are 10th. Behind Chelsea. Which is pretty remarkable. Um, From an underlying standpoint, it's better than United. uh, Especially in terms of XG and and goals scored and things like that. They are a plus 9 goal difference compared to United's minus 5. But when you put together a run like Newcastle have just put together, you cannot avoid being very low on these power rankings. I'm going to read out to you their Premier League results. Lost to City. Lost to Liverpool in one of the biggest hammerings on XG ever. Lost to Forest. Lost to Luton. Beat Fulham. Who does that? Lost... To Spurs, lost to Everton, beat United, Lol, beat Chelsea, Lol, lost to Bournemouth. That's going all the way back to when they played us. If you throw in, you know, they, they they lost to Dortmund right after they played us. But if you just look at that, that's let's see. One loss, three wins, uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight losses. And three wins. That's really, really bad, Clive. And they are out of legs, out of players. The manager has tried to play the same players into the ground in every competition. And I think you're seeing it taking its toll now. Uh, Injuries, absences. They might have to sell players in this window from what I understand due to FFP issues. I think the wheels have come off a bit. And I'll be curious to see what their owners want to do to get this back on track because I, I think they... They are very much on the outside looking in at any hope of a Champions League place for next season.
2: And they probably qualify for Champions League too soon. That—that's the truth of it. They didn't. They didn't foresee the effort required. They didn't understand the training methods required to sustain their style of play over a longer period of time. And we fall into foul of that maybe last season. You know, the pace at which they play, particularly at home, has has, has caught them out. They've had injuries. And they've had the Champions League games, which have been high pressure, high intensity, high emotion, great for the fans, but very taxing to the squad. And you look at the fact that away from home, they are second bottom in the in their way league table. So at home, they have their crowd and they have uh, <laughs> they have the environment which allows them to play as they like. And we saw that for ourselves really, and throw their elbows around, et cetera. When they go away into mm-hmm. a different environment, they're not able to do that and impose themselves. I think Newcastle is a, is a very interesting project. I think for so many reasons, look, you can sit back and say they've got all this money. Well, you know what, they can't spend it. They can't spend it because of profit and sustainability and FFP rules. They can't do what City and Chelsea have done to the league. They're not allowed to. Right? Even even the fact that they're way richer than both. They're not allowed to. And the situation means they're hamstrung. You could say that's right or is that wrong. Well, we've sat there and watched Chelsea for 20 years be the most successful club in our country based on a funding model that none of us, we're looking back now, should be proud of, right? So, and we accepted it. You know, I don't want to go into the city stories too much because I think it's to be told, but we accepted it. And Newcastle was not able to do that because the rules were being tightened up. Then you look at what's happening at Manchester United with Ineos and they quite like the Newcastle director of football, Dan Ashworth. They quite like him. Right? They're quite like Paul Mitchell, the ex-Tottenham uh, head of recruitment. They're two elite people in their field. If, if Manchester United are to take Dan Ashwood out of Newcastle, that would be a significant cog out of their machine. And I wonder what direction they would go to then. And I do think that's that's a club worth watching because I think the direction could change depending on if they get their people headhunted, etc. It won't be immediate, but it's something to watch for over the summer of the next few weeks. And so, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting, despite having all of that money, all of that ability to change their infrastructure and really change the whole area, they're not able to transfer that on the pitch because of the financial restraints around them. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really a fan of, of them as a club and the identity that they've managed to forge mm. with the British media. It feels very, very British-centric to me. And um, they seem to have acquired many, many fans in, in the media all of a sudden because they're a new story. They're new. Last year, we were new. We're not new anymore. Let's kick our legs away. They were new. So I think it's going to one to watch it. Over the mm-hmm. summer, let's see what direction Newcastle are able to go down. The new financial fair play window opens up and also can they, can they improve their commercial revenues? Because if they can, they're able to flex their muscles a bit more.
1: They 100% can and will through all the same dodgy tactics that like a city have employed. They will, that will happen. But because it is a three-year period that's examined for any FFP mm. considerations, um, prior to the new ownership, they had dreadful revenue. So they, they're hamstrung by that at least for another year or so. And they're going to have to just deal with that. Not to mention if they want to be, you know, they won't be, probably in the champions league next season if they're not in european competition at all that almost helps them because the uefa ffp rules are stricter and tighter than the premier league ones so they could fart around a little bit more you know if they're out of europe trying to get better and then you know use all the wacky financial nonsense to correct it when they get back into europe so it'd be interesting to see but i i i think they're in deep trouble they look like they're a bit out of legs there's rumors of them having to sell now to just get compliant. And if they've run out of legs and they don't get players back, it could get tricky. I still think they finish above United though because um, as I've said, United are a dumpster fire. So that's eight, that's seven. Now we go to six. Six for me, pretty straightforward here that it's Chelsea. Chelsea mm-hmm. are a weirder one, Clive, because Chelsea have all the players. So it's hard to know which ones are good or not because you can't keep track of them all. Chelsea have very good players underlying metrics, which makes them weird as well. Now, they only have a plus four in goal difference. They've scored 35, which not great, but we've only scored 37. They've conceded 31, very much not great, but they're massively underperforming their XG and slightly underperforming their XG allowed, very similar story to us. On expected goal difference, they would be fourth. So as I've mentioned, pretty good underlyings, but they do currently sit ninth on 31 points They've won their last three in the league. They've won four of their last five. And Kunku's now there. Um, is there a danger that Chelsea finish the the season strong? I would prefer that not happen. Can you talk me out of that? Because <laughs> I would prefer not <laughs> well, to see that happen.
2: I i i don't i don't sense it per se, but I think they're on the back of three mm-hmm. or four wins, and and so there, there's something happening there. But the, to be honest, Elliot, they've got so much. Sort of good talent. They're going to have good days, but I watched their games, and uh, I watched the game at the weekend versus um, Fulham, and Fulham, they were mm-hmm. hanging on. They were hanging on. Okay, Fulham. I'm not going to say that we've had great success against them, but they were truly hanging on at home in a, in the West London derby. You know, and um, and Fulham had them in, in periods in, Peer- in that pitch, and I can't. If I close my eyes, I can't tell you their style. I just look at their players they have on the pitch and just think, okay, they got these two in midfield, Caicedo and Enzo, like £220 million worth of player, and they're just allowed to jog around the middle of the pitch and no one seems to care, you know? And um, Conor Gallagher just, just dashing and pressing in behind a striker mm-hmm. of your choice, and Kunku seems to be injured again. Oh, you, know, you know, we got fairs fair, right? We lost Timber on the first day of the season, they lost Kunku a similar time. And they haven't seen him, so that's their potential centre forward gone. And they're left with Nicholas Jackson, who not really not really a great finisher, right? So um Sterling's carrying from a from a wide forward perspective and obviously Cole Palmer is the next coming of um of of Jack Grealish in the English media mind. He's the next one that's coming mm-hmm. through and um and so, yeah, they got. I, I do like that Noddy Makaweki. I think he's interesting, but again, he's thrust into the limelight at Chelsea. A lot of these young players have accepted the big contracts, and, and they've accepted the environment by which they're in, which means they'll play one, sit one, play one, sit one, and it's going to be a challenge for them. And I, I just don't understand that model. I generally don't understand what they're trying to do from a first team perspective. They they are still quite young, similar age to us. I think I think us, Burnley and Chelsea, the three younger squads in the Premier League. But we have some massive expectations on ours. You know, and, and Chelsea are sitting there with with they need to be in Europe. They surely need to be in Europe for their revenue situation. Some form of European football needs to have come to that club. So they are going through a very, very interesting period. It's so interesting that we're talking about money a lot on this podcast. I think maybe that's relevant. With the news coming out today, but I think it's more relevant in in Premier League thought processes than than there ever has been, because the Premier League is sitting there not wanting to be independently regulated, so they have to be seen to be getting their house in order. And I think it's going to really dictate a lot more of our thinking. And we, I know myself, I need to understand this. I can't have unrealistic YouTube expectations on my football club when they're operating under a different environment. I need to understand it. It's very important that we do as as fans because our financial landscape is changing for us all. And let's not think that we're not included because we no doubt are.
1: Yeah. I don't have much to say about Chelsea aside from the fact that it feels like they have a collection of talent Mm. that could be assembled into something that succeeds. Little speculative, and Kunku hasn't been able to stay fit, obviously. So that's an issue. Nico Jackson... Can't finish his dinner. He's currently off, I believe, with Senegal, right? In the in the AFCON, so they don't have him. Um, but there's a lot of young talent there, and there's a lot of talent that was highly regarded by a lot of people. So I I maybe I'm anchoring to my priors, but it feels like they could be good. I have this weird feeling that maybe Pachettino's not very good. Like, do we know for a fact that Pachettino's great? I mean, he brought Spurs, their greatest ever era, in which they won nothing. Let's just make sure we emphasize that. But he had Youngman son and Harry Kane. Two of the best forwards in the history of the league. In their prime. And his play was get stuck in the tackles and boot it long to the guys who are good. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not totally sure if he's great. He built a reputation at a club where he had a unique advantage up front. And leveraged that into winning nothing again i s- so important we emphasize that so for me with chelsea i see a team that with their underlying metrics and their talent and no europe should be able to chase some teams down in the back half of the season i think there are some bad teams above them so we'll see what happens i don't think they'll quite have enough to get to Champions League, but they play Liverpool away in their next fixture. And we will be, as loathsome as it is to say it, rooting for Chelsea in that fixture. So just be ready for it. Next in the list, it is my great pleasure to introduce you to Tottenham Cow Spurs. Um, I mean Spur Boys, I mean Spurs, right? Cowboys, Spurs, you get it? Anyway. Yeah, um, anywho, uh interesting one because Tottenham right now have Timo Werner. And this is the Arsenal, like the Arsenal fan base needs to just stop the head loss. We we do not need Timo Werner. That that was not the move we should have done. Just look at what Timo Werner's been up to. Now, it, it might work for Spurs, it might not. The idea that Timo is the player for us, I, I think is silly. Like, first of all, he exploits space. We have no space. He doesn't finish, by the way, which is literally the only problem we have right now. So what'll fix it? Bringing in a guy who's gonna finish even worse? Probably not. They have Dra- 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 Dragosine or Dragovic or Dragus. Dragosin, yep. Dragosin, thank you. Um, but, so, when I watch Spurs, I just see the same thing over and over again. Some pretty patterns, some good attacking play, absolutely naive, reckless, disorganized defending. Um, and the players that they think are good, like Cutie Romero, just continue to embarrass themselves defensively. Um, this game could have gone either way. I don't think Spurs defend properly, but they were the only team playing because Manchester United are bad. I understand why they get the praise they get because they try to play football the way we think football should be played, on the front foot with the ball, keeping it on the ground, passing it around, creating chances. But I, I think what I've come to appreciate, especially under Mikel, is how you handle losing the ball and how you defend when you don't have possession is part of the game, it turns out. I don't think they do it properly. So what do you think of them? And And... I think without Youngman's son, what we saw against United is they just missed that X factor that can win them a game. Now, maybe we we potentially miss that X factor too, by the way, and we don't have a Youngman's son, but but I think that's going to be a big miss for them for however long he's gone. What, what do you think of them in this game and overall?
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting game to watch. I think, as I said earlier, you can see that one team believes in what they're doing and one pe- one team doesn't know what they're doing. And that's clear to me. And, and so whether you, you know, I'm going to try to be adult about this because it's Spurs, but please just take this as just me looking at football um they have a system they they have a system they have a two three system and they and they have a two three five system and they and they box midfield they use their fallbacks in rather than have three like we do three two on in the main they push their fallbacks in and they are they are very front footed and they play out from the back they're brave i've seen it for my I felt it for myself in a home game at the Emirates, you know when they were at their best no, They've got their centre-backs back now, Van der Ven's back with, with Romero, so rather than playing full in, I find quite interesting that Spurs have a system that doesn't really seem to be personnel-based. They've gone from a team that used to be around two or three players, and those players weren't they, they weren't so effective. They've gone to a more collective approach, which is far more around changing the identity and the culture of the team They're like a a slightly earlier version of Arsenal, trying to restore the connectivity to their fan base. What Ange has done very well, he's, he's managed to manage up to Daniel Levy, which is hard. I can say that now based on what they've done in January. He's managed out to the media. He's managed out to his fans. He's managed out and downwards to his players. And they all believe in him. So whether you rate Spurs or not, they've achieved that. Manchester United would like that. Chelsea would like a bit more of that. They've achieved that. And that's something that we know is a powerful, powerful thing when you're connected. So have they got all the personnel at the moment? They haven't. Have they spent money? Yes, they have. They've spent a significant amount of money. have been able to cover it with selling a big academy player. Yes, they have been able to sell and recoup big money that they can use to reinvest into their team. So he's not done with bargain basements, so the goalkeeper I think he's decent. I don't think he's brilliant, but he's decent. They had a very good season. They managed to bring in Doggy, which I think he's a good player potentially, but he's young. He does one, he does some stupid things in his box, but he's got potential. You know, Pedro Porra I thought was done I thought he was a wing back and they've repurposed him into something that's passable. You know, and um so they got some they got some potentially good players there. Pepe Saar played, a, I think, one of his debuts against us last season, got ran off the pitch and was substituted. He's been recovered and promoted ahead of a Hoiberg, and now he's signed a new contract and he's, and he's young and has got potential. So they have some nice pieces that they can develop on. But Daniel Levy has worked out, you know what, I can't do what I did to Pochettino and not support him. I've got to support Andy. If I don't, I'm going to get lynched. I'm going to get lynched. And so he's learned from the past. It's interesting to see what they do next and how they want to progress. I don't dismiss them yet. Um, I don't think they've got enough solidity. They give up too many chances earlier. I'm I'm sure you know the numbers, XG against. They give up too many chances to have any sustained title attack. But you can see they've started something. And I bet you a lot of Man United fans walking of that ground yesterday wish they had some of the things that Spurs had so they could hold on to it. You know, so you've got to give them credit where credit's due. But I don't want to give them too much credit. As Roy Keane said, just let's relax, shall we? You know, it's just a period they're going through. And, and again, when teams start to focus on them and what they do, much like they've done with us, I think they'll flatten out over time.
1: I mean, they're 16th in expected goals allowed. Yeah. Only like. Fulham, Newcastle, Luton, and Sheffield United are worse. By the way, Newcastle, I mean – seven and a half of that came in the Liverpool game. So, so, you know, and, and to be fair to Spurs, I think a huge chunk of that now that I think about it came in the Chelsea game, uh, Chelsea game. Well, to be fair, it's only four. So even if you want to give them a little credit, they've been giving them up in big chunks. Um, So, yeah, I mean, defensively, it's been an issue for them all season. This, this is really nothing new. We'll just have to see what happens now. They are over in attack They've got 36 expected goals. They've turned that into 44 goals. I mean, w- what we would give for that kind of finishing. We have the exact same XG as Spurs, and we have turned that into seven fewer goals. Um, you know, therein the lies, therein you in have lies our himself. problem.
2: Therein lies our
1: problem. Yeah,
2: completely. Right? That's it. There's nothing completely. else to see. Either. Podcasting also right at the moment is, is tough because we have one problem. We have other things we want, if you want to talk about them. But if you look at it from a general point of view, we have one problem, and it's the very last thing you do.
1: For for what it's worth, it's at both ends too, because we currently have the best defense statistically on underlying sixteen expected goals allowed. The nearest is City, okay, but but we are by far the best in expected goals allowed, and we've conceded four more goals than expected, whereas Liverpool have conceded you know what is that four fewer than expected and that you know again, again all this stuff sort of explains where we are at the moment um it's it's n- certainly not a rewarding way to analyze football just by reading off a spreadsheet but i think it what those numbers tell you is what your eyes tell you yeah. which is it feels like shots are flying in against us at a rate that that's a bit unlucky and it certainly feels like we can't finish in front of goal and the, the spreadsheet's telling you what your eyes are telling you you don't you don't need the spreadsheet if i said to you Do you think Arsenal have been a bit unlucky with goals flying in and a bit unlucky with their finishing? You'd say yes, and the numbers would tell you that you're right. So let's move on um, as we start to get to the end of the the power rankings here. I have Villa next. You could have put Villa below Spurs for me. I think Villa are one of those teams that, similar to Tottenham, have been a bit fortunate and have a bit of a glass jaw. But it's funny, right? they they don't have a great expected goals allowed their expected goals allowed you know though is still 5th which is respectable whereas spurs is 16th um when i watch villa i see a really good team i really do and they have the talent like i think they have a lot of players that are really good they have managed to quietly assemble a team that when you look at it is really good um you know i'm trying to think of players that we'd take at arsenal i think douglas louise is one we're certainly interested in Yuri Tielemans is someone, by the way, we were linked with. He doesn't play a ton. Ollie Watkins is good. Just playing good, I think. Um, you know, they they have some decent defenders. I think Emmy Martinez is proving himself to be a good goalkeeper. Like it's a it's a good team. But when I watch them, I, I still can't help Clyde but think that, that that high line is a is a risky approach that some days it's gonna work and some days they're gonna get burned. What do you what do you think about Villa? I, I think. I, it's time for me to start giving them more of the credit than I have. But I, I just feel like it's a bit of a high-wire act, too.
2: Yeah, very, it's quite similar to Spurs, really. And there's a little bit of feel-good feel about Villa, particularly about how they play and how brave they are. And But when I watched them, I do think we can – well, we. I think they look vulnerable. I just think you can take yeah. them. I think you can take them. I thought Calvert-Lewin should have scored in the first half yesterday just for half time. He didn't lift that shot. If he lifts that shot, they're going one 0 that you know potentially everton win that game. And and so yeah, I just think there's a vulnerability about them. But again, respect the squad building. It's been done quite well. They've bought quite well. You know, they've a couple of free transfers there, K- Kamara and Tielemund. They've bought quite well. They rotate them around the midfield. Douglas Louise, 50-50 on him and is he an arsenal level player or is he somebody that's been overhyped? I'm not sure. I watch him chug around sometimes in midfield and wonder if we'd accept that. I'm <laughs> not sure we would. But um but yeah, but he's got ability on the ball, that's for sure. And he's very, very rounded as a as a midfielder, particularly facing the opposition goal. And so, yeah, John McKinn, British media darling, quite hard working, very robust in challenges and get bangs off his shots. Scored called a winning goal against us, so we know what he's like and he's played he's played other good games against us historically. They lost Tyrone Mings on the first day. They lost Diego Carlos on the first day of the previous season, but now they haven't got him in the same time. So they brought in Clement Longley and Paul Torres to sort of supplement their defence. Yeah, they got, so they've got got a decent squad that's been well put together. And, and Unai's got them in their system, and he's making sure that he has them in the video room for 15 hours a day. We know the story there, right? So um, we also know, I, I think for me, they lack a little bit of um, personality. Um, when I say personality, I say big game personality in the second half of the season is to be tested. Let's be clear. is to be tested. And I watched him yesterday I thought, you didn't really rise to that. And when you're sitting there in the top four of the league, people will prepare for you differently. I think that's what they're going to have to rise to in the next, next phase of the season. As we know, things change when you turn the corner, right? So um, what's your space on that?
1: They could lose at Chelsea in the next round of the FA Cup coming up. That's their next game. Mm. And then they have the one big advantage that a club like Villa needs to sneak into the top four. One game a week for the rest of the season. Or every other week. And that's it. That's what they've got. Navigate that and you're fine. Now,
2: you second last game last of the year, season. Didn't they?
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at these teams like Spurs, what they're trying to do. Like Villa, what they're trying to do. It's It's leverage that extra day off in the middle of the week. Leverage the the fewer minutes so you can have a smaller rotation of players. Look at Newcastle. Newcastle last season did it brilliantly, got in the top four this season. They've tried to use a small rotation of players. Granted, what's happened? They've all got injured. They've all got exhausted. It's totally collapsed. They couldn't manage Champions League and league. And if you look at the four clubs that have been in the Champions League, City had some injuries early in this season. Arsenal have had some injuries early in this season, but navigated it okay. Newcastle has collapsed and United have been terrible. And that's what the four Champions League teams have done. And I'm sorry, but like it, it, this, this has been a ridiculous 24 months or 12 months, whatever you want to call it, football, with the league, the World Cup, the league ending late, the season starting early, and then Champions League coming back to the. Like it's it's been really tough. And I think you're seeing some teams managing it better than others. Villa can try to leverage not having. Not having football. Now, actually, I need to correct the record here.
2: Yeah, the they Europa probably conference. will have conference, yeah, conference
1: and, league. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, knowing so Unai, gonna ha- I, will, I do apologize, but
2: he will go I don't know
1: how much they'll play anybody in that. No, yeah. <laughs> they, they
2: won't them. have to, but they will go for it later on in, in the, in the semi final. Count. They are going to be one of the top two favorites that competition, right? So
1: It could be interesting, right? Because you could have Liverpool going to Villa with both of them facing a final in a secondary or tertiary Euro- european um uh, european competition ahead of them you know because that's may 11th that liverpool go to villa we'll see anyway um last two really quickly i have i have liverpool as second now remember we're not ranking arsenal i have liverpool as second behind city and i can explain that in a moment do, do you think that's fair what do you make of where liverpool are at right now um obviously doing brilliantly dismiss them at your peril they're a fantastic team with a fantastic coach playing fantastically well. I don't know. I, 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 I can pick the bones out of it if you want me to, what do you, what do you think of Liverpool right now?
2: Yeah. Um, it's a strange it was- thing, right? Cause obviously we, we lost them in a the cup game. Uh, watching that game back, we did a rewatch, didn't we? It was quite difficult <laughs> to watch it because we did so many mm. good things, and ended up on the wrong side of it. Cause we didn't quite have the ability to finish and the mentality when it really mattered in both boxes. We were found wanting and they, and they won the game. You've got to take that one on the chin. It's tough. I watched the Fulham game when they played Fulham and I, th- I think it was quite, it was an interesting one because they've got a young kid playing at like right back because Trent is out injured and he did okay and they were struggling for a bit and then I think Curtis Jones just took a shot and he got a big deflection and they get their goal and and they go and win the game. And I was thinking, the amount of shots we had against West Ham and Liverpool. We haven't got any deflections like that that gets you up and running, you know. And um, I think a lot of the teams are going to find it a challenge playing against his low blocks. Even Liverpool, you know, even Liverpool, gonna find it a challenge. But you have got to keep shooting, and they shoot, Elliot. They shoot from everywhere and anywhere. They don't even care if their feet are set. They're shooting, and but yeah, I'm. It's interesting to see the, how Klopp has redeveloped this team. And what I do like about what he does is he has a play style which suits the players. He really does lean into those players. So Darwin Nunes is a great example of that. He's a running, dashing forward. So what do they do? They put him in running positions so he can dash forward. He doesn't score that much, but he assists a ton, right? So do the expectations of him to score? Well, 90 million quid if he's playing for Arsenal, we'd expect it. But they've managed to create an environment for him where it doesn't matter long as he causes trauma and trouble for the opposition. And they love him, they become a cult figure. It's so interesting the environment you create for your players to succeed. And Klopp is very good at setting that up. You know, he had Firmino playing for him for years. When they won the league, Firmino never scored at home. Could you imagine an Arsenal number nine not scoring at home for a league season and us being Mm. cool about it? No chance. No chance, you know? So um, he does. Very, very well at creating an environment for players, protecting them, protective state. He does it really, really well. And um, that's something we have to do as well. We have to create that for our own players.
1: Liverpool have what Spurs have, but better, which is the cheat code. A player who wins you stuff when it's not your best day. Yeah. A player that changes the plan that other teams come to the stadium with. And that's Mohamed Salah. And it feels like their whole season to me is how they get through this period without him and how he comes back. As long as Egypt makes the semifinal, he will not be available for our game at the Emirates with them. We need Egypt drew Mozambique, I believe, in their opening game. So that's not going to be good enough. They need to turn it up a little bit. But if they make it to the semifinal, Mohamed Salah will not be at that game with us. If... They make, make it to the final, which they're certainly a favorite to do. He'd miss one more game, but the game he'd miss is Burnley at home, and I, I think Liverpool will get through that. What they have right now is Bournemouth away, and Bournemouth are excellent, Chelsea at home, Arsenal away. And they've got an a, a EFL Cup well. semifinal in yeah. the middle there. Um, those three games, Bournemouth away, Chelsea at home, Arsenal away, none of those are bankers. We hope the one against us is a loss. And they'll probably have to navigate all three of them without Salah. So, that's you know our hope is that they drop points there, maybe in all three. It's totally it's not out of the question. Those are three hard fixtures without your best player. But I think also there's there's that question of how he comes back. I can remember years ago, Arsenal players coming back from the African Cup of Nations, and their season was wrecked. You know, now I'm, I'm you never root for injury. I'm not saying injury, but just the extra minutes in the legs playing. You know, playing more football at a period where you you should be playing maybe a little less football. We'll see Clyde, but to me, that's their season hinges on how they get through the next few games without Salah and how he comes back to them.
2: Yeah, and Trent, because for me, Trent is for me. As as important, you know Trent Van Dyke and Slava. I'd say he's he he's players. a
1: notch below, but no question, he's extremely important. One of the best
2: players. Yeah, well, start, uh, well, you know, it's, you know me. I look at football from the the back end of the pitch. Look the at the,
1: but someone's got to stick it in the net, right? Maybe yeah. that's me looking through my Arsenal lens right now. Which is doesn't matter who creates what. Someone's got to stick it in the net.
2: Yeah, exactly. And uh, but you know, Slal's not getting the ball without Trent, mate. That's for sure. And there's no yeah. one else who can yeah. progress it. You know, no one else who can press it like him. So, can be interesting to see what they do. I think Curtis Jones will have to step up, and he, and he has done. I think he's a, I think he's a fine player. I think he's going to have to step up on the ball progression perspective. But Trent is so dominant as a passer. Losing him is going to be such an interesting thing. So you lose your exclamation point, and you lose your quarterback. Let's to see how they go. Let's see how they go. You know, so can be interesting.
1: Yep, yeah. yeah, I mean it. <laughs> It's it's a tough one, but like we'll be talking about this in the future, but we ha we have to beat them when they come to the Emirates. It's that's to. there's no other, no other option whatsoever. And the way we've played them in the last two games, I think we owe them beating them because I I I think the results we've gotten in those two games are somewhat less than the performances we put together. And they're not gonna have salon. We need to take advantage of that. So that leaves us with the top team. And I mean, if you wanted to have Liverpool top, you certainly be my guest. I have Manchester City top, and it's really this simple. Manchester City have held serves, so to speak, <laughs> without Holland and without Kevin De Bruyne. And in case you didn't notice at the weekend, Kevin De Bruyne is back. I, I, I've said this before, and people literally hate it when I say this. They laugh at me. They say I'm an idiot. But here's who I am. I'm the kind of person that says that thing again despite touching the hot stove and feeling it burn. I'm going to say the thing again that has people calling me an idiot and laughing at me. So here I go. I think Kevin De Bruyne is underrated. I think mm. he's more important than Holland to Manchester city. I, I do. I think he is a match winner who cannot be taken out of a game. And I, I, I just, it drives me nuts that they still have this guy and he can still play at that level. And it, 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 what else could have happened but him coming back from injury, coming on with 25 minutes to go, and completely turning the game with the goal and assist and and getting them the win there. Clive, I think with that man back and, and Holland still to come, it, it feels a bit ominous to me. We're all just waiting for that 13-match run of winning every single game for Manchester City, and it, it feels a bit scary to me at the moment with those guys coming back.
2: Yeah, it does. It's different. We can almost convince ourselves it's not gonna happen for us because when he's running around with his hair looking like the Zohan, looking really slick and you, I think it's it's um it's a problem, right? And he's just he's not even fit. He's just having a little jog and he's just passing around, overlapping, underlapping, and he just gets the ball and you think, Well, why couldn't anyone else do that? But yeah, he does it. He does it so regular going back to a charity shield game they it very similar we were playing really well against him. he came on <laughs> in the second half not fit <laughs> just ran about for a bit and just turned the game just literally turned the game he sees the game in a different way he's able to work out your weak points and just run into those areas and his execution and quality of delivery and his last action is just really really good and when a player makes a game looks that simple you know he's a special player right um but yeah, he is their, no, he's their quarterback, he's their last pass person, and he's their last action person, all in one. Uh, and um, not just us, but everyone else has got to deal with him. And, um, as soon as he gets fitter, we're all in a bit of trouble, aren't we? He says at the moment he could do 20, 25 minutes at full pace. Well, that was enough for Newcastle, who were spirited. That was enough to put them away. And uh, Yeah, he's a bit ominous.
1: I don't love it. <laughs> thanks. I hate it. Um they obviously will have a lot of games coming up. They'll have the Champions League back. Um they're going to go deep in that competition again. They've drawn Copenhagen, so should be breezing through that. They've got Spurs away in the FA Cup. Um you know, I expect them to probably win that and go through. are their bogey team though. Spurs are their bogey league. team. Bogey, their bogey I was team. just about to say that. Yeah. yeah sure. Um in the league I I wouldn't say they have it easy. I mean, they still go to Spurs in the league. They still go to Liverpool in the league. They still go to Brighton in the league. They still go to Bournemouth in the league. These are good teams. Um, Arsenal obviously come to the Etihad, where we uh, last won in 1777. But like that's going to be a game where we're going to need to get something, and we're certainly good enough to, so we'll have to see. Um, They... They have a worryingly easy run-in once they've faced Spurs away. Their last four games are Forest, Wolves, Fulham, and West Ham, and none of the hard ones are away. I, I can't see a scenario where City aren't in it until the final day, but I don't think I see them running away with it from here. Um, is, is that... Right. I
2: think right. I think sometimes we look at the next door neighbor's garden and think it's better than ours all the time, and it probably is. But we sit young in, in, in our city are involved. However, oh glad we cleared that up. Oh, well, well, <laughs> you know, i was just looking at their bench yesterday, and obviously, De Bruyne came on, Oscar Bob came on, and did the business. You know, their youth player, the 20 year old Norwegian international, they bought in for 15 million quid because they are uniquely funded to allow them to uniquely fund their academy. And make sure that the best talents arrive at their club. So and he was able to come on that piece and people are criticizing them for selling Cole Palmer. Well, they're probably giggling knowing they had him in the background. So Cole Palmer mm. can give forty two million quid to their to their, you know, FFP and, and so sort of FFP numbers. numbers, 'cause again he's the Academy player, so that's pure profit, they can re they can re, reinvest that elsewhere. So um mm. so yeah, it's a challenge when you hold yourself up against that team that team that owns every single trophy in the game at the moment in Europe. It's a challenge. I'm not about to use City to beat Arsenal with. I want to beat them. I'm not going to hold them up and say we need to do what they do because we are at a disadvantage resource-wise. We just are. They can put people to one of their 12 clubs they own globally. They have a model which we don't have. and Sometimes we have to be mature about this. It doesn't mean we have to submit and, and we don't want to win. And our manager looks like somebody that wants to win and he behaves like that. And we need that level of absolute intensity and desire to win, to beat this team. It's not going to be done by smiling and happy handshakes. We have to be mm. pushing our standards up. Because that's what we're dealing with, you know, and um so it's a challenge, but they have players on that bench who are not doing well. Nunes is not doing well yet. Ricolosi is a young lad. There are still players there for also, Jack Grealish, hundred million pound, not playing. You were asking about Havertz earlier on. Jack Grealish is not playing. He didn't play for a period last season, but was there when the crunch mattered, when the medals were being handed out. It's about having that depth of squad to enable your players to be fresh when it really, really counts. You know, and they've also got Calvin Phillips sitting there unused. No matter what he does, he's unused. Another fifty million quid player, unique, right? Unique team, unique team in our time uniquely funded. I keep saying that. I think it's I don't think people realize that particularly around youth academy side of things, that funding does not sit with the first team funding. It sits elsewhere. Like it does for supporting the women's team. And so it is something we have to bear in mind and it takes time. For those people who are wondering how Newcastle are doing it, Newcastle are making a big splash at youth level. They are attracting some of the best talents around the country. They are 10, 15 years behind City. They're 10, 15 years behind Chelsea, but they can invest at that level. They can bring in talent, and they will build that layer to eventually feed into the first team. It's not always what you see in the uh, transfer rumours that really dictates where a club is going.
1: Their season's going to be... The story of their season's going to be told in March. It's pretty straightforward between now and then. I expect them to win basically every single game they play between now and then. And then in March, in addition to... Whatever cups they're in, uh, and the Copenhagen second leg and all that, they have United, Liverpool, Brighton, Arsenal, Villa. United at home, Liverpool away, Brighton away, Arsenal home, Villa home. They can win them all. I mean, they're good enough. We know they can. But United, Liverpool, Brighton, Arsenal, Villa. It's a tough run, and they'll have a lot of games in and around it. Depends how fit they are when they go into that run. Whether they do run away with this league or fall slightly behind or wherever they wind up being, I think March is going to determine it, and I think that's that's going to be a very very interesting one um, for them. And obviously, we have to go do our business for any of that to matter. Um, you know, uh, hopefully, when we do go to the Etihad, we will be uh, in the pot for a draw for the next round of the Champions League. By then, we'll have some other things on our mind as well. So, we'll keep track of all of that. Um, let's leave it there. A good long 90 minutes to get you through. We've got a lot of fun stuff over on the Patreon side this week planned. So I hope you will join us over there. If you would, Um trying to do some fun stuff. We do scouting videos. We do rewatch videos, uh, one club, which is a women's team pod. We have the instant reactions. Obviously we do, um, power rankings like we did today, but we do those regularly over there. Um, three big questions where you guys submit questions. We pick out sort of the three biggest questions that are being asked, uh, around sort of arsenal zeitgeist, diaspora, whatever you want to call it. Um, and a couple other concepts that are escaping me at the moment. Plus we have the discord where we chat with you every day and there's tons of head loss and people being ridiculous, but also sharing <laughs> lots of fun information and thoughts. Uh, we do office hours, which we've stopped. And I need to get that back where uh, we actually have like an audio room where we all hang out and talk to you and you can talk back and it's like live chatting. Lots of good stuff over there is the point. And if you want to give it a try, uh, we would just love to have you there. And if you hate it and you say, I hated it and I want to refund, um, then we'll do that too because if you hate it well look you know by now whether you hate us or not (laughs) like let's be honest Uh, and it's not just me you 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 might like you like the other guys you don't like me that's fine you can just mute mute the part with me anyway uh enough of that nonsense clavs on twitter cloud Thanks, thanks thank you very much my name is Smith. you bought me on twitter yankee gunner big big 10 nil coming up we need it we love you we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 palace no